Um, I want to tell you a little bit before I get into my talk about how I connected with this church. Um, I came to Huntington from Pennsylvania back in 1980. And early in 1980, I met a man named Bob Yarberg. And that's what happens every time I say his name. <laughs> and honestly, it was a brief meeting, but I could sense his love for Jesus and his commitment to the poor. And that's when I first started to learn about Broadway. Fast forward a couple of years, I met a, name, a man named Dick Hostetler. And Dick and I are kind of cut from the same cloth. We both do ministry. We both do a type of counseling. We both commit ourselves to understanding how Satan can influence believers and unbelievers. We do deliverance work. And Dick and I have had a nice connection over the years, and I've really appreciated that. Then I met a young lady named Amanda Compatti. And um, I kind of convinced her to come to Huntington and study with me in the grad program. And I sensed her deep understanding of God's people and how they grow and how they heal. And I got to teach you a few classes, which I was really glad for. And I met Sims. And we've been in a couple situations together. And then Amanda introduced me to Ryan and Katie. And Ryan said, why don't you come and speak? And I helped them plan a, a, a retreat, which was for counselors. So all that to say, oh, and then I, a couple weeks back, I came and experienced some worship. And I met Eldon. And I would just so appreciate that you're a church that wants the spirit to move, allows the spirit to move, and isn't so concerned about time. Right? Not very many churches put the Holy Spirit ahead of the clock. And you guys definitely do that. Praise God for that. And don't worry, I'm not saying that because I'm going to talk for an hour. Don't, <laughs> don't worry about that. Even though I am a professor, I can go on. So basically for me, I train Christian counselors. Uh, at Indiana Wesleyan and then at Huntington, and I, I continue to see clients in my retirement. My grandkids say, you're not really retired. They get upset when I can't go fishing with them or get to ball games. Um, and I do this on occasion as well and love to talk about God's word. So winning the battle for your mind, is, is anything more important? I mean, this is such a crucial topic and you know the enemy wants to win this battle, right? And Satan is a liar. When Satan lies, he speaks his native tongue. That's all he can speak. And in Revelation 12, we find out that Satan is the great deceiver. We also find out that Satan is the great accuser. So we know from Scripture that Satan can kind of plant a thought in our heads can deceive us that it's okay to do and then accuse us and say, well, you must not be a Christian if you thought that or if you did that. So it's so important for us to win this battle. And today I'm going to talk about God's word, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about truth. I'm going to talk about confession of sin. And all those are really important to win this battle, but I'm going to talk about one more thing, and it's the thing that you guys have been focusing on, and that's one another. 
Because when we love and accept one another with our weaknesses and brokenness and failures, that's when we begin to understand how much God loves us. So that's where we're headed. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Okay, I have this little clicker. So I love that we read this verse. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be renewed by the transforming, the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I want to start with a thought. Are you applying your mind to the things that will transform it? Are you applying your mind to the things that will renew it? A challenging statement right away. What are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you reading? One of the things I try to regularly do is practice solitude. So about once a month, I spend two hours alone with God and just meditate and let him love me. When I come out of those times, I'm a little more sensitive to sin. My filter is a little more dense. There have been times where I come out of that and I walk into the living room and I watch a show that my wife and I have watched and I think, that doesn't renew my mind. That doesn't transform me. That doesn't help me think thoughts after God. So the more time you spend with God, especially in silence, letting him love you and with his word, you start to see, hmm, I want to be able to apply my mind to things that will renew it, things that will transform it. Read, listen, study, meditate, and memorize God's Word. It's living, it's active, it's powerful. We're to study to show ourselves as one approved, one who handles the Word of God correctly. The Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto my path. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable to equip us for teaching, correcting, training, and righteousness that will be equipped for every good work. In Hebrews 4.12, the, the Word of God is living and active. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. There's so many opportunities now for God's Word. In many countries, that's not true. We've got God's Word... We get to get, hear good preaching. I, I hope you're hearing good preaching. We have podcasts. We can listen to sermons. We can do all these things. So listen and study and meditate and let God's Word get in deep. And don't say, oh, I can't memorize Scripture. Just say memorizing Scripture is hard. But you can do it. You just go over and over and repeat it, and then God's Word is in you, and it will come up at times when you need. Holy Spirit, bring back to our memory scriptures that we've learned so we can be victorious for you. Now, I love this verse, and I love that we read it, and I love to hear God's Word read out loud. So if you can see that, would you read it with me? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. May God add blessing to the reading of the word. Get your roots down deep into the living water. And then you're going to prosper. You're going to produce fruit. You're going to do all the things that God wants us to do. John 15, stay connected, remain, remain in the vine. That's when you'll do great things. Apart from me, you'll do nothing. So this is God's word. It's so important. We got the belt of truth. Okay? Every morning I pray on the belt of truth. Surround me with truth. Give me discernment from the Holy Spirit to know truth from error. Help me to speak the truth in love to every person and situation I come in contact and help that bring freedom. And we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, here's what I love. After Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he starts to talk about leaving, he says, I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to send you Another comforter, another counselor. The word for another means another of the same kind. He's going to send somebody just like me and is going to be with you forever. He's going to be in you. The spirit of truth going to guide us into all truth. In fact, later he says, you're going to do even greater things than me because you've got the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which didn't happen until after Pentecost, Right? So we have the truth. In John 14 and John 16, we hear about the Holy Spirit. We read about the Holy Spirit. Uh, We pray on the belt of truth. And James says, don't just hear the word. Today you're hearing it. Don't just hear it. Do it. Do it. Years ago, we had a speaker at Huntington named Rebecca Pippert. And she wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker into the World, one of the best books ever on evangelism. And she said to our students, when you read the Bible and something strikes you as true, stop reading and go out and do it. That would change things, wouldn't it? Just go do it. Ask God for opportunities to do it. So I want you to read this with me as well. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Praise God. The Holy Spirit is going to guide us into all truth. It's the spirit of truth. It's going to remind us of everything that Jesus said. The Spirit also gives us gifts from the Holy Spirit to use for the equipping of the body. The Spirit also gives us fruit. And we all need more love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We all need more of that. All that comes from the Spirit, which helps us win this battle. What are you thinking about? Are you thinking about what's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy? Or are you consumed with the worries of the world? That parable, the soils, the wills of the world come up and choke out God's blessing and God's grace. I just want to take a few minutes and do a little meditation here. So if it helps you to focus, to close your eyes and get comfortable in your seat, 
Take a few deep breaths. Maybe breathe out any worries, concerns that you have. And think about things that are true. Think about things that are noble. Think about what's right. Think about things that are pure. Things that are lovely. Think about things that are admirable. Things that are excellent. Think about things that are worthy of our praise. Oh God, there's nothing better than you. Amen. Taking time to do that is really important. To focus your attention on those things helps you win the battle for the mind. Set your heart and things above. Colossians 3 says, set your hearts and things above. For you died, listen to this, and your new life is hidden with Christ in God. Is that crazy? You're a new creation. Your new life is hidden with Christ in God. My wife and I met in Bible college in Pennsylvania. Thank God I got a degree in Bible before I got counseling and psychology and all that stuff. Although there's some good stuff in there too, as long as it doesn't conflict with scripture, right? We had a professor and also had a church and all he taught was your position in Christ, your identity in Christ every Sunday over and over and over. He'd get up on Christmas, Merry Christmas, turn your Bibles to Romans 6. And he'd go word for word, and he'd teach us the Greek and the, and the participles and the tenses. He'd give us handouts, and we learned all about our identity in Christ. And he said, listen, you're not going to be able to deal with your condition unless you know your position. Your position in Jesus Christ is so powerful. It's so important. A couple Sunday mornings, he'd get up and he'd say, where are you today? And we'd say, seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where you are. That's where you are. If you're around me and you sneeze, I will say, God blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, Ephesians 1.3. And sometimes people look at me weird when I do that, but... We've already been blessed. What we have to do is learn about all these blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. It's in the Word. And it, it will help equip us and help us handle um, our position, I'm sorry, our condition. So meditate on the power and authority you have due to your position in Christ Jesus and know where you are seated in the heavenly places in Christ with God. Okay, read this with me. You guys are doing great. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He lavished it. The riches of God's grace is lavished on us. You get discouraged? Read Ephesians 1. 3 to 23. 
You're adopted, you're justified, you're sanctified, you're redeemed. It's just rich with all these wonderful things that God did for you. I want to spend a little time on redemption because it's a really key word and it has to do with the freedom and the power that we have in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to teach you a little Greek, okay? There's a lot of different words for redemption, but there's one that's really, really powerful, and it's in this passage in Ephesians 7 and 8. And the word is this, ex agorazo. I'm going to say it again, and then you say it with me after I say it. Ex agorazo. Ex agorazo. Okay, let me tell you about it, okay? It's really powerful. Um, when the Romans would conquer a province or a territory, they would bring back slaves, and they would take them to the marketplace, the agora, ex agorazo, the agora, and they'd put them up on them, and they'd, they'd bid them and try to get the most money they could. I'm going to ask this gentleman to stand up. This guy, just stand up and just look around. Young, strapping slave, he's worth a lot of money, right? Okay, and they bid on him. Okay, you can sit down. But what you might not know is later when somebody became older, like me, <laughs> they'd take him back to the marketplace and try to sell him again to get more out of their investment. Okay? A middle-aged guy, I'm not middle-aged, a middle-aged guy, take him back. He's still got some worth and value. Maybe we can get more money for him. Return to the Agora. Now listen, ex agorazo, bought out of the marketplace, set free, never to return. That's what that means. Bought out of the marketplace, set free, never to return. We never have to go back and be a slave to sin. Amen? We still sin, we struggle, but it doesn't have to be our master. That's what that word means, ex agorazo. It's so beautiful. When I get my second tattoo, I think it's going to go right here. <laughs> yes, I have a tattoo. I shouldn't share that online, should I? Okay, we're going to sin. We're going to struggle, right? We've got sinful thoughts. We've got sinful actions. We know that we are saints who sin. My wife went to a Bible study, and they said, write down the word, I'm a sinner. And she wrote down, I'm a saint who sins. God bless her. Our primary identity, if you look at the New Testament, is saints. Call out ones. Okay? We do sin. We struggle with sin. But we don't have to focus on it. We don't have to beat ourselves up. C.S. Lewis says, don't spend any more time on sin than it takes to confess it. That's all. And then accept God's forgiveness. Accept his cleansing. That's what he died for. He wants you to come and confess. That's what he wants. Now, I want to look at the scripture in James because it's so important. So I'm going to read... James 1, 13 to 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now, there's a really important progression here that the church needs to know. 
God can test us, but he never tempts us with evil. We're tempted by our own evil desires, okay? Then we're dragged away and enticed. We focus on that desire. That means we're entrapped, we're ensnared. It's like we're caught. That leads to sin, and sin full-grown is life apart from God. we got to know this progression because it's not a sin to struggle. Amen? It's not a sin to be tempted. And we should be able to take our struggles and temptations to each other. And then we won't get dragged away and enticed. And then it won't lead to sin. These transitions are so important. And if we don't have people that are safe, that we can share our struggles with, we're to be pitied. That's not what the church is to be about, right? When I get sinful thoughts, I go, it's sin, it's in, it's out. That's it. That's in, it's sin, it's out. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. There's an old Chinese proverb, we can't keep birds from flying overhead, we can keep them from nesting in our hair. Right? We don't have to focus. We don't have to be dragged away and enticed. That's sin. Lord Jesus, that's wrong. According to your law, I want to accept your forgiveness, and I want to move on. Don't beat yourself up. Okay, so all this stuff is great, right? And all this stuff is true, and all this stuff helps. And often, and it might not be enough. It might not be enough. Because we all struggle so much. We struggle with deeply held core beliefs. Maybe they come from our childhood. Maybe they come from just consistent messages that we received. You're never going to measure up. You're not enough. No one's ever going to love you. What do you think you're doing? You can't do that. You're an imposter. You'll never be able to teach God's word. All these negative beliefs that are deeply in our hearts and minds, and they bump up against all this truth, right? We want to believe it. We want to accept it. We may even know it in our head, but it's not in our real soul and spirit. It doesn't get in, and we fight that. It's okay if you fight that. Fight. It's hard for a lot of people. We've never experienced love like we just talked about, so it's hard to believe that it exists. But we can get it from each other. We can get it from each other. Healthy relationships help to heal those hurts and that brokenness. Healthy relationships help to challenge those beliefs that I'm not loved or that I'm not going to amount to anything or whatever it is you were told. Healthy relationships can do that because when you love somebody and their weaknesses and brokenness, they have to do something with it. They have to think, wait a minute, maybe I do have some worth. Maybe I do have some value because of the way that they treat me. I shared a struggle and they didn't condemn me and they didn't move away from me. They moved toward me. Wow. That's powerful. That's how we begin to understand one of my clients told me, I need to see Jesus with skin on. We need to see in horizontal relationships things that will make sense in that vertical relationship with God. The one anothering that you guys have been working on, it's so powerful. It lets this truth get in. 
So we need to find safe people, and I know there's some safe people here. I've been here enough to see it as you greet one another, as you care for each other. The things that you do, the things that are planned, there's safe people here that you can talk to about your struggles so you don't get dragged away and enticed and you don't lead to sin. And when you sin, you confess it and you accept God's forgiveness. And even confessing to each other can be very powerful. It can bring another level of healing. So even more important than finding safe people, we need to be safe people. We need to be people who can hear struggles and weaknesses and still love folks and still care about them and move toward them in their struggles and take some of that on ourselves with God's help. Healthy relationships help us learn to trust God and his word and all the things that I just told you about. It doesn't make sense unless we experience it one one to another. We're never going to fully understand God's unconditional love if we don't feel accepted and loved by others. And God's love is made complete or perfected when we love each other. That's when it's complete. That's when it's perfected. And you may begin to understand that maybe God does love you the way his word says, if you're in relationships with people that help you make that make sense. That's how we really win the battle for the mind. Okay, so this is a little smaller, but this is, I know speakers say this all the time, this is the most important slide, okay? This is God's design for love. It starts at the top and moves clockwise. And I'm going to remind you of this in all of my talks, okay? So I want to make sure it gets in. Go clockwise to 1 or 2 or 3 o'clock there. God loves Jesus, and he sends Jesus to earth so that we can understand God's love. Here's the way I think about this. God set up priests. We didn't get it. He sent prophets. We didn't get it. He established kings. We didn't get it. God sent Jesus, and we got it. We got it. We understood what the love of the Father was like. Then in John 17, Jesus tells the Father, I've loved them with the love you've given me. So the Father's love passed down to Jesus. Now Jesus says, I love the disciples that way. They didn't get it, but I loved them. And then go across, and he told the disciples, I got a new commandment for you. You got to love the way I loved you. Unconditional, accepting weaknesses, brokenness. You got to love the way I loved you, okay? And then John, the beloved disciple, writes in 1 John, when we love each other, God lives on us and his love is made complete or perfected in us. That's God's plan. From the Father through the Son, the Son to the disciples, the disciples to each other, and passed on to us. And now we love each other the way Jesus loved us. And the battle for the mind, the battle for the mind is won because it's won through healthy relationships. So important. This was God's design for love to be made complete, to be perfected when we love the way Jesus loves David Benner, in a wonderful book called The Gift of Being Yourself, says this. Hints 
Hints of unconditional love from humans makes the possibility of absolute, unconditional, divine love imaginable. It helps us imagine it. Gosh, if I can confess sin and share a struggle, and you move toward me and love me, and doesn't change my relationship, maybe you even come closer. Wow, maybe, maybe that's what God's love is like. Maybe God really does. Maybe the scripture is true. Maybe he really does love me like that. So important. So the battle for the mind. We need God's word. Amen. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to confess sin. We need to focus on what's true. We need to apply our minds to things that will renew it or transform it. And we need each other. You know that. We need each other that are understanding deeply, attuning to us, accepting and loving others just as Jesus loved us. Then, then we can imagine that God the Father loves us. Father, I just pray that a few of these truths would go down deep into their heart and their mind and they'd be able to apply it and do it. And they'd be able to love other people with the love that came from the Father, through the Son, through the disciples, to us, and understand that it's only in loving each other and accepting each other in our brokenness and weaknesses that we can fully understand, wow, God really does love us. There's nothing better than you. In the name of Jesus, amen.